Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide, a veteran-founded business. It's dedicated to producing American-made cleaning chemicals and also dedicated to creating American jobs, and that commitment is embodied in every product that's bottled, labeled, and shipped from their Arvada, Colorado facility. Safe for all firearm types and surfaces, embrace the power of American ingenuity and protect your firearms with the best. Visit RiptideArmory.com. I'm KC. And I'm Tyler. And you're listening to The Element Podcast. Welcome to the Element Podcast, y'all. Brought to you by First Light Gear. I'm KC. I'm Tyler. And this is the second part of the Rut Q&A podcast. Um, <clears throat> the rut's an interesting topic for a lot of people, man. People like to hunt whitetail deer, and they like to hunt big bucks, and those things come out during the rut. Mm-hmm. And it's like a real good time to be in the woods. Yeah. It seems. Seems so, like it. Is that what you're looking up right there? Yeah. Hinte de Bosque. Yeah. How about that? The Bosque River in Hola. Central Texas. Bienvenidos, gente del Bosque. That's it. The hunters of the woods. <laughs> Let's go. Let's. Yeah. So um, we've been partaking in the Mexican food today as per the norm and discussing some things. We're going to answer your rut questions here in a bit. Uh, but first, we wanted to cover some talk, some things, some concepts, some ideas around consistent weather you know we just talked about cold fronts and there, there's gonna be a huge cold front probably has already happened if you're listening to this podcast uh or it is currently happening we had this discussion yesterday actually of like what is the cold front is there a middle is there there's a before and an after but also is there like in the front and what did you decide tyler uh about what well we were trying to discuss if there was a, anything besides the before and the after i thought we were trying to decide if the front is, if pre-front is before the actual front hits. Yeah. Or if pre-front, no, what was it? It was something weird where we were, the guy asked a question about hunting when the front comes in, or pre-front or post-front if we preferred mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah, and, and yeah. I think we're trying to decide, is there a middle time or is pre-front 
any time before the temperature starts to drop. Yeah. It's kind of hard to determine. Either yeah, way. I, I mean, to me, pre means before. That means like it's 85 and it's still 85. Yeah. It hasn't dropped to 45. There's pre front, there's post front, and then there's uh, windy. Dia de los front. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now we're talking post front. That's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about consistent weather, ideally. At what point does it become pre front, though? Well, at what point point does post front become pre front? It's a full circle. (laughs) Every time it's pre front, it's also post front because there has been a a front in the past. Um, But um, prefrontal cortex, I think, is what they call that. That's Um, it, yeah. So, um, what we're going to look at here in the early stages of the rut this, this month is going to be some consistent and good weather around the country. Like, I guess you could always want it colder. Uh, it's hard to get too cold for the deer in the rut. But, like, what? No, oh, I hit over there peeking up. <laughs> Michael's peeking really up. excited about being cold. He's um, from Ohio, which you know, is Canada south. Nights when there's a frost and days whenever it's, like, 50, like, that's pretty solid. And you're going to see a lot of that in the country. I think it's hard to give, like, actual temperatures. But just relative relative to average, it seems that the first week of November is going to be a little lower than normal, and it's that's good. I can remember though, you and I hunted like a November one or two. Oh. One time that was zero degrees. Yeah, yep, I remember that too. That was bad. It was bad, bad, <laughs> dude. That was that was back in the old gorilla suit days. Yeah, man. I feel like that's a morning that you and I both had good hunts. Yeah, we did. I had. Uh, one of the well, I mean, there was a couple of days in there, but I know like the last day, I had bucks fighting for like, I think they were fighting for like an hour yeah. on and off, and that was post front, like normal conditions, or yeah. what, what were we calling like, like very still yeah. post front, so High probably pressure. like a like a soft east wind or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, like a light and variable pretty much. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was good. I think you might have seen that big nine that you passed. Mm. <laughs> mm. I didn't know it was a pass. Oh, okay. I don't know either. I was just making a joke, but I didn't take the shot. I'll put it that way. It was back, you know. It was back in my conservative days. I think you know. Now yep. I'm flinging. Now you're libertarian. That's right. Um, but uh, yeah, those those you bring up a good point. Um, those kind of days actually are make for really good morning hunts. Mm-hmm. I feel like those high cold. pressure cold days. Like a lot of times that makes for some really good action on the AM. And not that you can't hunt the evenings, but it's it's kinda like the first point in the year when like all light to hunters can agree, hey, it's good to hunt a morning. You know, because there's a lot of guys. I'm not really one of them, but I understand the point. Uh that there's a lot of guys that are like, Man, it's really not worth hunting mornings in October. Um, and I kinda get it to an extent. It, but uh also at the same time I'm not gonna sit at home when I could be hunting, I can go do something, maybe not mess it up, but side in a rifle or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's, those make for really good hunts and a lot of times they're still, so you can like do some calling mm-hmm. and chum up some action that well, way. I think that them being still is, is a reason that the deer move pretty well because mm-hmm. they can hear, mm-hmm. you know, like. There's not not everything isn't just rustling around them and moving and and the landscape is calm and still and they can look out over across that field and see something moving over there and know that it's not a bush it's a deer or it's a coyote or whatever mm-hmm. as a uh, and also at the same time 
can hear, you know, and mm-hmm. that makes it like, dude, when you let off with the rattling horns on a day like that, it's like it carries forever, <coughs> dude. Yeah. I did that 2018, maybe. Is that what it was? Whenever we rattled in that buck from forever away and uh, I missed him because I hit a piece of grass. Yep. 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 That that was, was and that was probably November second, third, fourth, something like I think that. It was like the fifth or eighth or something. It yeah. was pretty. It was the first. Well, it wasn't their first. No, that's right. It was a little later in the hunt. But yeah, it was one of those cold, still mornings. And then last year, you killed on a consistent weather day in the evening. However, it wasn't cold. No. It wasn't. Um, but it was still consistent. Yep. And that doesn't matter as much as temperature, but it also somewhat matters. Mm. Like if you if it's the first day it got to eighty five after it'd been in the sixties, dead in the mm-hmm. woods. But if it's been getting eighty five every day for the past four, five, six days, deer have to exist and do things. Mm-hmm. So it worked out for you last year. Yeah. Did well, you I've, when you went into that, did you have pretty good confidence? Um not necessarily. I had confidence that I would see some deer. I didn't have confidence that I would necessarily have a shooter. Mm-hmm. But that's because that property is like a very uh, – like I can't just go shoot like the first buck that I think is big there. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like <clears throat> we – you know, my dad – it's the place my dad hunts, and I guess you could call it managed. He, he wants to somewhat let bucks get to their potential. So yeah, they at least I'm not go shooting for a three or four year old, you know, yeah. most of the time. Um, so yeah, they're trying to they're trying to shoot five plus year old deer, mm-hmm. and so those are hard to come by sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I guess I had confidence that, th- and this is what I think my main kind of key point is when the weather's consistent during the rut, is that I had confidence that I would probably see some bucks before uh, before dark, and what. What gives me that confidence is that I think when the weather patterns are consistent, even if they're hot in the rut, in the rut dates, so like say November 1st through 15th or so, you're going to have deer moving very similar to probably what their daily patterns are in say like the back half of October mm-hmm. a lot of times, I think. So, But the thing is, it's the rut. So there, there will be that once those deer get up, in the evening as it starts to cool off or whatever, the sun goes down, then the bucks like go mm-hmm. from that point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I guess that last like window is where most of your movement's going to be, but it also is like, be- it's still better than October because mm-hmm. once they get up, they might walk a mile before dark. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's, it's cooled off and, and it's the rut. So mm-hmm. um, the thing, that, the thing that's good about, cold fronts in the rut is that there's like all day movements right or or much more extended window of movement so that's why those those cold days to me are more fun but you still have just it's the rut like it's the best time of year and they're gonna move they're gonna move more than any other time even if it's 85 mm-hmm. i mean i shot a big buck upstairs it's a 2012 shot it's got two split mm-hmm. g2s i shot that deer um on a morning November morning and during the rut and it was uh it was like 76 that day or something in November kind of wild yeah yeah so I mean it was it was muggy just a warm warm yeah morning you know the deer that I shot uh on the ground in Kansas uh, a couple years back was on a warmer morning it wasn't freezing cold 
I, I don't really remember what it was, but I had on just kind of like a light, um, you know, hoodie or something. Mm-hmm. That's all I had on. Mm-hmm. You know, it was windy. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, they're going to be doing stuff with the does yeah. that time of year. Yeah, there's a time of year, man, when it's uh, – there's a date range. Mm-hmm. Wherever you are, that it starts to really just be like – they just they won't let weather patterns kind of overtake what they're they're wanting to do. Mm-hmm. They're just it's just gonna kind of put it in a real sm- a smaller window of daylight. Usually, mm-hmm. I feel like so. Yeah, yeah for sure. Oh, Eric is here as well. Eric of YouTube fame, Mister just shooting all the does. I don't know if y'all oh, have holy, seen dude. this, but uh, Tyler shot a giant buck in Nebraska, <laughs> and that was kind of like the icing on the cake that was Eric smoking some deer eric how long did it take you to shoot two deer this is like two minutes i think two minutes they're <laughs> <If laughs> close <laughs> together man that was it was awesome and uh, i actually enjoyed some breakfast sausage mm-hmm. that eric had made from some of that it was very delicious today eric is going to read us some q a questions we're going to hop into that stuff unless you have something else you want to talk about anything else nope. all let's right get to these. hit us with the first you one. got a bunch dude by the way <laughs> tell me Eric, if you follow us on Instagram, you might have seen, but Eric has told now the best doe story of all time. <laughs> the best does. We talk about we talk about doe stories a lot here, and sometimes, you know, everybody's got one. They they everybody's got one. But now Eric they has could, the best one. <laughs> they could be a little bit boring sometimes. Apparently, Eric's is the most or the least boring doe story ever told. How many views? By the time people listen to this, it will be well over a half a million. It's at a wow. half a million. Right now. Wow. <laughs> There's one comment that said, uh, I've seen better, so like, apparently there's better. Well, hey, <laughs> the, I don't know exactly what better he's talking about, but I don't know anybody who's killed two does and gotten a half a million views on it. <laughs> you do. Golly, man. <laughs> Good How job, Eric. Thanks, man. Way to go, man. Dude, you watch killed it on the fall. footage. Thanks, dude. Yeah. I've been waiting for somebody to tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to these. The first one, are bucks betting near does in the rut? Uh, I think it depends on the on the situation. I mean, if a buck, I've seen, I have watched a buck actually bed with a doe right next to doe bedding in the rut, and so, but that was a, like a lockdown situation, right? Mm-hmm. So they're going to bed close to doe bedding because that buck's just going to go wherever the doe goes, pretty much in that situation at least. Sometimes they might force them to different areas or whatever, um, and then again that there would still be bedding with a doe but i think that um i think that like in the height of the rut i think a lot of times bucks are uh betting for short periods and just randomly wherever they kind of get tired real quick you know what i mean like i don't think there's a whole lot of rhyme or reason to bucks betting during the like absolute just rage days of the rut i think you pretty much have to differentiate between are you referring to lockdown or a different time because a buck on lockdown is for sure better with a doe. He's like within 10 yards of her. Um, if it's like, if he's just in the chasing phase, and I'm not saying that's like a, a date range, that's more just like what he's doing that day because I've seen a lot of bucks locked down really early in, in the month in my life. So if that's what he's doing, then I'm going to say that no. If it's a single buck, he's not making where the does are bedded his consideration because he's already checked those does he knows if they are receptive or not if they're receptive he's probably up on them if they're not receptive he's probably going to find somewhere to to take a rest for a second and then go find more does 
Okay, next question is, can you hunt near a gut pile? Interesting. You know, there are people, there are old-timers that think that's a good idea. That uh, <clears throat> I wonder if this person was referring to that, you know, kind of thinking about that. But apparently the smell of the rumen is supposed to attract deer. I don't believe it. I don't like it. Uh, I'll do it. But <clears throat> I think it's a real good way to have coyotes and stuff messing you up. Ditto. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know, super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. Just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Lately, I've been telling you guys about Land.com, the site that can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own where you can do all the hunting, fishing, and hanging out with family you want. Land can be a great investment. Getting your own piece of land is something that can both generate income over time and also generate a lot of memories for generations to come. It's an investment you get to use and enjoy and take care of while it works for you. And any good investor will tell you to start investing sooner than later. Well, they've got hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Land.com can help you find properties for hunting, fishing, a lake house, a hobby farm, or if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound as a way to better secure future generations. Land.com will also help connect you with the right agent that specializes in rural real estate. So enough dreaming about it. 
Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. What GPS slash tracking services do you bring in the middle of nowhere? Hmm, I download a offline map for Onyx, and that's pretty much the way I do it. I mean, you, you go download. Now they have it pretty cool where you can you choose the resolution and the size. So, like, if you know you're just going to be, like, in 100 acres, you can download a real high res of that. Or if you know you're going to be covering half a state, you can download a, a medium or low of that half of the state. Or if you have the bandwidth, you can download a really high resolution of a ton of area. But that's pretty much exclusively what I use. Um, I have the, uh, what's the Garmin? Um, oh, the thing for reach. text messages? Yeah, inReach. Yeah. In reach, um, that's what I use for, like, wilderness-style hunting. For it's a satellite phone, so uh, or a satellite GPS, you know. Uh, I don't use it for navigation. I use it for contacting the outer world. Um, it's got an SOS button, and then for navigation, I'm using the downloaded Onyx maps, like Casey said. Food plot or feed? <laughs> well, <laughs> right now, feed because what's the difference? There ain't much difference except one takes a lot more work than the other. Sometimes. Sometimes feed is real tough too, right, Tyler? Um, yeah. <laughs> feed ain't working at all right now. I mean, tough to install. Oh, feed? Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah we uh, spent quite a bit of time toting some corn bags in a long ways. Guarantee but, you. Uh, yeah. Well, you're saying it's not working at all. I mean, right now, corn is not working anywhere we've got it pretty much. I mean, there's some deer around, but it's not consistent. And uh, my food plot, until I just planted yesterday, was just dirt because we didn't get the right rains. So uh, if you want something reliable, feed. If you want to um, be, a, you know, amateur ecologist, you can plant your food plots. And I say, <laughs> I don't mean to sound like I'm making fun of the question asker here when I say, what's the difference? I'm actually making fun of the people who think that when they plant these micro food plots, they're doing something better than feed. Yeah. So. You should just do the thing that you think gives you the best chance to kill a deer. Yeah. I don't really, I'm not a style points kind of guy. No, I'm not either. I like to do things a certain way, but it's just kind of the way I do it. Yeah. Just because of that. I just, I don't, I mean, to me, it's, uh, I just don't like the elitist uh, ideology of uh, how your food plot is better than uh, me also taking seed, which could be corn, right, and putting it on the ground. So, that's just my thought. I know there's a billion different arguments for it, but. Not a big fan of them. What kind of cover do you see bucks bedding in most? Thick. That thick cover. <laughs> yeah. I think high stem count is like another way of putting what you're saying. But it's hard to. I mean, let's just throw some scenarios out okay, there, okay? Better, so, yeah. like, from here, I'd see honeysuckle, uh, greenbrier thickets, um, maybe even cedars. Right, cedars across a lot of the uh, the eastern red cedar across a lot of different areas can be like a good place to get shade and or cover. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like plain states and stuff too. What about like uh, Illinois where we hunted last year? That was like button brush and some cattails mm -hmm. and maybe uh, dogwoods. I think might have been one of the things that were up there, but mm -hmm. it's just kind of like the marsh area of where we were. 
I don't think there were a ton of deer bedding <coughs> in the corn then. Um, but, um, and then you go to like the northeast. My limited experience there, it seems to be kind of more like the hill-based bedding because those big woods don't have a lot of that thick cover. Mm-hmm. So they're using some way to involve seclusion. Uh, you go to like the grassland type stuff, a lot of times it's going to be up in like plum thickets mm-hmm. is a big one. You see these big old bushes of plums or snowberry or shelter belts. Yeah, shelter belts. For homestead, old homesteads. Old homesteads. There's like this uh, invasive tumbleweed looking stuff that deer love to make tunnels in and bed up in. I think it's just, um, it ain't as like, tricky as people try to make it out to be but at the same time it's really hard to find the specific spot but you can look at stuff and be like oh deer bed deer bed there um it's just stuff where they feel like they're really good and hidden yeah and if you're like i mean a lot of people want to talk about buck beds it's like a hot trendy topic uh, over the last few years but um i think you take you take these like bedding areas and then put them in places that people never go and that's where bucks generally inhabit if you're looking for buck bedding but I think like we talk about every time we do a Q and a pretty much. And like we talk about a lot, uh, there's not, there's not always like, there's, I don't know. I don't know what the percentage is, but like probably less than half of the places in the country where you hunt deer have like buck bedding. That is like a buck lays down in the exact same spot every day. You know what I mean? It's just, it's kind of particular to like hill country. A lot of times, uh, sometimes marsh stuff, right. Cause there's only so much dry country. Um, but like, you know, where we're at, not so much, a lot of the plain States, not so much. I mean, if you, man, if you had to tell me right now, pick a five acre area, you know, there's going to be a buck bedded in, I might have a hard time Yeah, where we live. Oh, for sure. It's just, yeah, they just, I, it's hard to figure out. It is. It's random. Cause there's, a, there's plenty of places they can do it and they know where those are and they just don't, they're just not that habitual. Mm-hmm. They're not quite that habitual to where they bed in the same place every day they've got places multiple places so um that's that's my two cents on it at least what saddles do you guys run uh been wearing a cruiser xc for a few years yep um super comfy i like it a lot yep there's uh i've tried on several other different saddles i'd say you know like 2020 uh, we hunted out a tethered phantom. Is that right? Is that what it was called? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I had a good year that year, and that that was fine. You know, it was a, it was a the saddle worked fine. Uh, but Casey recently got into a tree stand and was like, it certainly is pretty comfortable. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I mean, the saddle is. We've talked about it. It's undoubtedly uh, killed more deer for us, but that's uh, because we did a lot of running gun public land hunting. Right. Uh if you have the ability to pre-hang stands, do it. Yeah. That's not the question, though. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, we kind of, we just always expand, you That's know, right. try to give people yeah. more than they they paid for. When to call and when not to. In general, um, I think that I'm going to call, this is kind of a Bill Winky thing, and I, I like what he says. Doesn't it's not always the truth, but I, I usually do this. Anyways, I'm usually gonna call when I see a deer. Um, I'm not especially when you talk about true calling because th- that that implies like a mouth noise, right? 
antlers rattling, it's still considered calling, but I'm more likely to blind rattle than I am to blind grunt. Um, and I will tell you this, I don't have a lot of takes on when, but I can tell you when not to. And that's when the deer has already decided he wants to go the other direction. <clears throat> I can I can think of so many times through my hunting life, watching Tyler do stuff and some other people too in the past where uh, the deer's like, uh, I'm going this other way. And then you grunt and he's like, I'm for sure going the other <laughs> way. And then you snort wheeze and he's like, bye. I'm never coming back <laughs> that's here. That's right. I'm never going to this place ever again. That so. is something like to consider though, like, um, how aggressive you get with that calling when you see a deer is uh, how how much do you value your chances next day or two to kill that deer in the same spot, mm -hmm. you know? I do think that um, if you're going to be a person who does call, you need to work on your craft and not just b dig your grunt call out of your backpack whenever it's like, oh, I should grunt at this deer. Mm -hmm. So, like, you should be prepared when you go to the woods, like, hey, I might need to bring a deer over here let me be ready and think about what that's going to look like when I do that. Because uh, I think the way that deer naturally communicate is they grunt or snort wheeze when they first perceive another deer's presence. So, like, if a deer's in your general area for two or three minutes feeding around and then you finally grunt at him, I almost feel like he's a little weirder about that than, like, there he is. He's walking by at 90 yards. Let me give him one right now. Bap. Mm -hmm. And I think that they are pretty receptive to that. How do you feel about the new law in Texas that makes hunting riverbeds illegal for archery and rifle? Mm -hmm. I submitted yeah. some uh, commentary on this the other day. Um, <clears throat> to a person or a state? The state. Mm. They hate us. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I'll I don't mean to answer this first, but I can if you want me to. I, w I mean, would love that. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to start out with the perspective of adjacent landowners because mm -hmm. I want to be a little empathetic towards that. I own property, and I highly respect private property rights. I think it's very independent and very American. I'm going to appeal to the good Americans out there right now, if you know mm. what I mean. Um, mm. And um, so I understand. And there's two things in this world that make sense to me that good American landowners should understand. And that is people in waterways, and that is people corner crossing. Uh, I know Ranella just put out a podcast about the corner crossing stuff in Wyoming. Like there's, there's like malintent – and then there's just like, just, you know, people trying to do their best with what they have in the world. And I think that you have to look whenever somebody violates something or does something, are they really trying to hurt somebody? You know, somebody crossing a corner to go from public ground to public ground would much rather that corner not be there and they could just walk freely, right? So they're not trying to cause any problems. The malintent in the corner crossing issue is that, the the corners were created with malintent. With malintent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's a it's a way to only own half the land but have full access to all of it. Mm -hmm. um, so, but back to the river question, um, I get whenever you're talking about dry riverbeds, it gets a little weird. But um, there is precedent since te before Texas was a state with Spanish land grants 
that um, the riverbeds were treated as highways because of commerce. And I get that it's not commerce anymore, but it is um, traditional use practices, I believe is what Clay Newcomb says. And he's a big fan of traditional use, and I am too. And uh, so from a landowner's perspective, it's weird to have people running around down on the river right by your house. But that's just that's one of the things that if you're going to have – property that is adjacent to a public right of way that is the way it goes and well it's been that way a long time too so it's not like probably there's no way that anybody who's uh who owns that land hasn't always had it that way yes it's always been that way since before they even purchased it you know they just had the right congressman in who would do something yeah to help them out um yeah i mean and guess what else um at least this was the way it was a few years back when I was researching this, but um, easements are that way. Mm-hmm. If there's a traditional use of that easement for so many years in Texas, then it remains an easement when you, like if you were to buy a property that has had an easement on it for X amount of years, mm-hmm. then it will remain an easement once you purchase it. Yeah. So it's very it's very much a grandfathered in thing, which to me is, would be similar to the easement that's allowed through the the uh you know high water rule or whatever you would call it yeah uh, ax, I, water access i suppose the question is directly related to the hunting projectiles yeah projectiles yep. where <sighs> i get that the bow hunting thing i think even though i don't like it i get that like it's just not a situation that is very conducive to bow hunting if the law is that you can't go recover your game on private property. Some states you can go recover your game on private property, um, which that's the law, and that sounds good. Um, so I'm going to say I kind of get it, but at the same time, it just I don't like this argument because it's not very logical, but it essentially is like how many chips are we going to let them do to this rock before it breaks in half? Yeah, that's know? that's my that's kind of my thing too. It's like, man, I, I kind of get it, but at the same time, like, it's just uh, the death by a thousand cuts that people mm-hmm. talk about where it's like, man, that uh, little paper cut didn't hurt that bad. But then all of a sudden, you know, uh, once they paper cut you there, they're not focusing yep. on paper cutting you on that spot anymore. Yep. They're focusing on a different spot to paper cut you. That's right. Well, and you think about this too. They just outlawed rifles and bows. Well, what's that? What does that leave? Shotguns. Shotguns for ducks. And that's like probably the most common use of a river access. It's the one I've used the most. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the next thing to go off the list? Is that. Yeah. So we only, we only, we're losing stuff. And mm-hmm. the next time they want to attack something, they're going to attack that. And then after that, it's going to be fishing, and then it's going to be boats completely. So it's just a bad thing. And the to king's going to just own everything. <laughs> King is in the building, dude. Got it. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, it's, it's true, man. So I don't know. It's kind of hard. It's just hard to give up rights that have been traditionally seen as. Uh, acceptable but yeah. uh, but it is something that you and I've talked about a bunch where like I don't know if we ever really we're gonna we're going to or and definitely haven't uh just hopped off in a riverbed with a bow and thinking we were gonna kill something in that riverbed yeah because that's a good way to have something run somewhere where you can't get it yeah which by the way is kind of a isn't it kind of interesting that some states <clears throat> they uh they would force you to find your game and Take, not have any wanton waste, right? Mm-hmm. 
but they won't force somebody to let you on their property to find that game. It's kind of an interesting concept that like the game is of such an important value that they would like throw you in jail or fine you heavily yeah. for that. But Which then ones are going to be? They won't. They don't want to. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, I guess it's cool. We have to put a priority on somebody. I guess if they're doing that for the landowner, private landowner, then it's just interesting to think about. It's something that uh, we might should look deeper into sometime. It's just a big old conundrum. Pretty it much. is. It, it is, man. I don't know. It's uh, – think about this. Does that mean you can't bowfish? I don't know. I think I heard – I saw somebody talking about that at some point on a forum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Is it advisable to pee in a scrape to get a buck going? Yep. Who's going? I don't know about getting them going. I don't, you know, anymore, I don't pee in like pre existing scrapes, but I'll make one and pee in it. I did that on my property the other day. Dude, I if I got to pee, I'm peeing in a scrape if it's around. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess yeah. it's not like I'm looking for it, but I have to pee often. And so if I find a scrape and there's a you're making a graph and it's like uh, the chances that I'm at a scrape and the chances that I have to pee they they meet <laughs> often. Or high on that one. <laughs> you know, uh, it's an interesting concept that uh, I actually take into consideration. If I have to pee in the woods, and it's anywhere around somewhere I may hunt, I make sure and pee somewhere that's like. If a deer made a scrape there because I peed there, it's not going to put things in a weird he predicament. Shoot it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to pee like downwind, you know, downwind of the uh, primary wind of your yeah. tree. I wouldn't say that like, like if you make a mock scrape and then pee in it, then yes, you could get a buck going. But he, if it's already a scrape, then there's already pee in it and there's probably multiple peas in it. And so uh, it's fun to pee in it mm-hmm. as long as you're not peeing to the camera, the cell camera that sends your buddy pictures, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Um but it, I don't think it's any more effective to get one going necessarily. Yeah. I think that is kind of the old thing is people are like, oh, you're really making mad if you pee in there. It's like, ah, I don't know. So if that's you didn't have coffee this morning or asparagus or anything. <laughs> <laughs> What's a good terrain feature to set up on during the rut? Terrain feature. Um, <clears throat> I, I would say one of my favorites is a secondary creek crossing. I like to look for these uh, major creek or river systems and then find these like secondary creeks that come into the river or main creek stem and um there are certain spots that deer cross those areas and therefore uh it makes for a lot of times a funnel that can't really be seen from an aerial too uh, because you have to actually get in on that secondary creek and walk it to find which trail is the best one a lot of times um, and you can use a lot of times it's fairly close to the main creek stem, so you can use the the main creek stem to kind of take some of your thermals in a direction that you'd like or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of options around a secondary creek. Um, to be different than Tyler, I also like that one that, that he he said. Um, I'm going to say a large bend in a river that is a boundary. So like a deer can cross about near any body of water it wants to whenever it gets a mind to, but you know, there's some that they treat as just like another thing, and then there's others that they treat as like, okay, I'm not crossing that until I get chased by a coyote or something. So if you can find a spot where that thing makes a big old bend, mm-hmm. it's just a it's a good pinch. And so I, I like that. And also kind of the inverse of that is 
Uh, I don't get to hunt this kind of stuff as often, but I, I map scout it a lot because I hope to draw Iowa one of these days. But it, you can also find a river like that that's kind of a boundary. And anytime a ridge kind of like dead ends down into that, it takes all the flat ground and condenses it to like 100 yards. It's another really good spot. The uh, I sent our friend Anthony, he's going to Iowa right now. I sent him a one of them creek horns like you talked about that he's going to – think we hunting this evening no really yeah look at that yep hope he kills a big one me too man are mature bucks more likely to more likely to breed mature does hmm i don't think so i don't think so either. well let me so would you like to get into semantics because we can get into semantics about yeah. how the question's worded mature bucks are more likely to well, yeah i know exactly where you're going with uh, this to win the battle uh, in any scenario so they're more likely to get to breed a doe on a 1v1 situation, right? So, yes, but they're also more likely to, to breed younger does, too. However, there are un, some pundits out there that would say uh, that they have data that there's no discrepancy in the amount of breedings from 1.5s up. They, the, same, the same percentages of bucks in every age class do the breeding. But does that... And is that a, a adjust for count for the fact that there's seven times the number of 1.5s that there is of 5.5s? Yeah, I don't know. You know I don't I mean? know if it does. It's a, and I don't trust any data anymore ever, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, I mean, take this for what it's worth, but my personal observations mean way more to me than somebody's numbers. When do you switch from hunting bed to feed to rut funnels? It's mm. a good question. Um, about November one. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like uh, I've said this. I don't know if I said it on the podcast recently, but I've said it to KC and the guys a couple times because we were talking about schedule and stuff. And I mean, usually there's a property that I hunt um, some every year, and I'm like, man, every year on trail camera I get bucks on Halloween, the first or the second that I have not ever seen. And, and that's when they show up in that three-day window. And actually, Greg was talking about this with me yesterday, I think, and he was saying how a property he hunts also is the same way. Um, it's like year, year in and year out, those three days are like new buck shows up. So I would say that, um, yeah, basically starting at November 1, uh, you're, you know, and that's, this is, these two areas are probably six hours apart, but um, they're, you know, there's a lot of different variants regionally. Uh, but I think just like generally speaking for most of the country, especially when you talk about the regular Midwest rut, that's like a good time to start switching the tactics up. There's a place that I hunt regularly that is bed to feed all day, every day. Not all day, but every day. And the deer just do rut stuff on the way to the feed and on the way back. And it's because food there is very agrarian mm -hmm. and about – like solitarily going to be agriculture you know like there's not a lot of natural browse mm -hmm. so it's a little dependent on where you're at in the country yeah. as well but you're still i think you're hunting funnels on that because those deer uh they move a lot every day so you're it's almost like you're mixing the two things all the time mm -hmm. should i hunt the rut <laughs> I remember seeing this one. <laughs> uh, the answer is yes. The rut is the best. 
ass. It is, dude. Man, alive. I mean, you there's never a chance, a better chance than like the two week window around you know peak uh, breeding dates that you have. There's never a better chance to shoot like a two hundred. You know, there's never a better chance to shoot a deer that is not Spooky. on your trail camera. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. And and if you don't have a two hundred on your trail camera, then you ain't got a chance unless you're showing rut. up on all you know what I mean? No, 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 not no. really. So, you know, that's, that's my thing is like, if you've been hunting, if you've been sitting there all year and you're, you know, listening to this podcast right now and you're like, man, I don't, I got like this one, eight point. He's all right. You know, I'd shoot him hunt the rut because then all of a sudden a 140 is going to show up. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's where you get deer that make big, long, uh, expeditions to find those and end up on properties that they only have seen twice in their life or something, you know? So it's, uh, definitely worth doing. In fact, one of our buddies shot a deer on public land several years ago. That was like Boone and Crockett status, huge deer. <clears throat> and, uh, it, he, he found out through the grapevine that it had been on a piece of private, like two miles away. It's whole life pretty much. And he shoots this thing in the rut on public land because – Being a zombie. Being a zombie, yeah. I mean, same, uh, the Chris B story is pretty similar to that, too. No, there's a different one, but I can't oh, really say. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent – who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. Comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code Meat Eater because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being Meat Eater. AuraFrames.com, promo code Meat Eater. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. Just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you 
to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Lately, I've been telling you guys about land.com, the site that can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own where you can do all the hunting, fishing, and hanging out with family you want. Land could be a great investment. Getting your own piece of land is something that can both generate income over time and also generate a lot of memories for generations to come. It's an investment you get to use and enjoy and take care of while it works for you. And any good investor will tell you to start investing sooner than later. Well, they've got hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Land.com can help you find properties for hunting, fishing, a lake house, a hobby farm, or if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound as a way to better secure future generations. Land.com will also help connect you with the right agent that specializes in rural real estate. So enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. What is the most important accessory you bring to the woods during the rut? That's a good question, too. Probably my broadheads. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, You're allowed a smart aleck answer. Okay, good. Answer. Perfect. Uh, go for your smart aleck. A water bottle. Mm. Um, mine, it might not even be that smart, but um, Pop-Tart. Um, mm-hmm. My wife says she's making homemade Pop-Tarts. That sounds good. She has a lot of good intentions, though, so yeah. we'll see. I mean, I, the best I, I appreciate her, but... She got two little kids at home. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Yeah. Um, uh, my actual would be rattling antlers uh, because I don't think there's a better way to kill a deer that's way far off than with rattling antlers. Um, this you have to you have to keep an eye on where this is legal, right? But um, a screw in step or two. Mm. I usually carry two because. Um, of these reasons. So, uh, there was a, there was a place we hunted that was a few hundred acres. We had permission to hunt Kansas a few years back. And we eventually found out that there's just this like center of the property tree. That's like pretty short, but it's a, it's a hackberry. And like, you know, I'm going to go in there blind and hunt the middle of this property. So I got to walk a half mile in on private. Right. And then hunt this tree, hoping to find some, you know, some, with the the place that I can shoot a buck because it's pretty open property, and I go in and um, you know, pretty immediately find out that I need. And this is this is something you can you can get into at any time. But um, you know, cottonwood trees can be really big. You can't get sticks around them. Um, it makes a step can make for a good bow hanger if you need one. Um, it can make for a good gear hanger for a backpack hanger because they're usually they're steps so they're stout they'll hold a lot of weight if you have a bunch of stuff in your backpack um a lot of times like you may um need that thing just to get the bottom step you know what i mean because mm-hmm. you just don't have enough rope on your stick or whatever you know and it just it's real handy eric you know? and i were on together last year <laughs> trying to hang in a cottonwood tree and dude i think i was like doubling up the sticks yeah, it's like. Well, it I think like, you took a tethered and tried to extend. Yeah, it Yeah, I had my my saddle rope <laughs> to try to extend it. I mean, like it was like eighteen feet around the tree. I made some extended ropes one time for those muddy. We I think for those muddy sticks, those work too. and they were like. 
they were like 10 foot long ropes and I cut them, I cut like, you know, a 40 foot rope or whatever and 30 foot rope into eight or 10 foot deals or whatever. And so I could add that to, you know, my, my stick or whatever. And cause we were at the time we were hunting a lot of areas that had these big lone, just bull cottonwoods that were just no, enormous. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, Oh, well I'll figure out how to get into one of these. I can take this rope and I can, you know, do this with so I take it and I try to, I remember the one time we tried to put it around a big tree and it just doesn't have enough tension. You know, you can't like, you can't get enough on it when it has to go around that much surface area and catches on the bark all the way around and try to tighten in the end that like the, the stick would never be tight enough to catch. It's pretty hard to get it even around the tree. Yeah. You know, you got to have two guys to get around yeah. the tree pretty well, what much. What do you do when you get to the second one? <laughs> you know? uh, yeah, hope that the tr- trunks are split. It's or something. almost like you you ever been on the bridges crappie fishing and seeing guys with the hula hoop things. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's like what you need to go around a tree. Yeah, but so hula. These those uh, cottonwoods are a problem. Yeah, like I love them. They're mm. pretty. They're they mean good stuff when you're around one. Dude, a small hard. a small one. It's awesome. Primo. Yeah, they're, the bark isn't as gnarly on the small ones yeah, either. Yeah. Like, they're really good to hang in. You almost have to You almost have to think that it's tiny. Because if you go to a one, you're like, oh, that looks like a medium-sized one. You when you get to, to it, it, oh my God. you can lay down on, <laughs> oh, on the, man. Like If you cut it off on a stump, you, you could, could take, make a bed out of it. You could carve a car out of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Like, they are huge, yep, man. For sure. Do you use attractants, and what is your go-to if so? I do not. My camera guy does. He, uh, Mad Mike? Old mm, Spice? No, you. <laughs> Eric, he's a suave conditioner. Yeah, for sure. Perk Plus. It's like uh, it attracts mostly uh, male species. <laughs> no. well, Deer, though. I Deer. trust you to play the wind right. <laughs> that's right. When, when Let's I hunt, go, Eric. When I hunt with Brian, then that's when I don't. Oh, you know. Brian, <laughs> Brian. 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 Yeah, I mean, uh, so to – not just say no. Yeah, we need to. Um, I have used some stuff, and I think that Tink 69 works okay every once in a while. I think that Not public sponsored. Land, yeah. <laughs> uh, public land deer get real used to that smell. Like, I think it all smells the same to them, you know, so they're like, oh, this is, they kind of know what that is. But I've seen times on private ground where we used to live that deer would, like, get hype about that stuff, so... I don't know There's if I've ever a used a scent attractant that worked for me. Yeah. I cannot think of a time. I haven't used a bunch of them, but I've used some. There was a couple of years when probably like 17, 18, maybe 19, when you and I would use some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But We used to use some of that as almost like a cover scent. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it works or not, but it make you feel better. Sure enough. Mm-hmm. Until you got it on your hands. <laughs> you <feel laughs> oh, then you feel worse for sure. <laughs> Headache. Yep. What's the best setup you have that consistently works for mock scrapes? Um, it's kind of – I'm not sure on the question. Yeah, yeah it's kind of – so, like, maybe just – I'm just going to answer what the best mock scrape is that we make. There's two of them. Uh, one of them is at a place we call Babylon. It's just an elm tree branch that just hangs out and kind of w- blows around in the wind. But we made a, I made a mock scrape there in 2017, maybe even 2016. And there's been a scrape there every year since. <laughs> like, I don't have to make the mock scrape anymore. I made it one time, and then it just became like a thing. So 
That works really good. It's just in a, it's in what we call a DMA. Mm-hmm. If you've been listening to the element for a while, you remember DMAs. We still talk about them. It's a deer movement area. It's a place where a lot of deer hang out and they move through, but you can't really put your finger on the specific pinch or food source or anything. It's just like an area. There's more deer there than there are in the general area. Mm-hmm. So um, that scrape in that DMA is real good. Another one, I just looked at. Tyler, you just sent me a picture of it. Because we were talking about, we're going to do a scrape video. And um, there's this scrape on the edge of a waterway. And it's just on a trail that's been used by deer since before I was born, probably. And it always picks up deer. It's a good mock scrape. I'm not sure it's a destination. I think it's just more of, it's in a place that deer are going to walk by anyways. So they're going to stop at that scrape and smell around. It's on a weird tree, too. Oh, weird, really It's weird got like tree. a one limb on the side, and the rest of it doesn't have any limbs, really. Yeah. Um, I think uh, if this matters, obviously, if you're going to make a mock scrape, you want to be able to shoot to it. You don't want it to be too far. You'd like for it to be on your weak side uh, when you're looking at, like, like think about, like, if you're a right-hander in the batter's box, you want it to be where the pitcher's going to be, right? So you want to be able to shoot you know 90 degrees to from where you're facing off to your left basically so left-handed would be the opposite apparently eric shoots a right-handed bow left-handed did you know that <laughs> no did somebody say that oh there's comment? a bunch of comments <laughs> on it dude on that dove, that doe story the world's most famous doe story that's weird uh yeah there's a bunch of people that are like why is he shooting right-handed bow left-handed <laughs> i don't know i don't know there's some people correcting them don't worry that's weird <laughs> Any tips on eliminating hip pinch in the saddle? That's you, bro. Um, have small hips. <laughs> I uh, knew you were going <laughs> to say that. <laughs> um, like me. <laughs> um, you might. There's a couple things. You can run the longest bridge option that you can. So I see guys just get in the tree in their saddle and don't adjust too much. Um, there's some guys that I know that really tighten down their like leg straps, whatever they're called. Um, those things are meant to be loose, not tight. And then the bridge is the portion that kind of like runs across your waist, but isn't tight. There's a belt and then there's a bridge. The bridge is the portion that looks like a triangle whenever you're, uh, suspended. And that attaches to your tether, which attaches to the tree. Um, run your tether really short and your bridge really long. And that'll help with your hip pinch. And then also just um, having a more comfortable uh, type of saddle. Um, the, they have different adjustments for the, that kind of stuff. So. I think the height of the tether matters too. Like if you go too high with it, then it does some weird things. I yeah. usually try to keep it eye level. Yeah, it's kind of how I am too. The, dude, the first time Tyler and I got in saddles. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was – dude – we thought we were hunting. We should have been somebody on the ground filming us just being comical. <laughs> Michael thinks it's hilarious. I hung he mine. wishes he was there. Oh, Greg Godfrey. He thinks he knows better than taught, us. Was, we had him on the podcast, <laughs> and he's a nice guy. Uh, and he was talking about, you know, hanging in a saddle, what that looks like, yada, yada. And uh, he said he puts his tether, like, as high as he can reach. Well, I don't realize that Greg is shorter in stature than the average guy. Um and maybe that makes a difference. If I put my tether as high as I can reach, I am like I want a swing set. 
You, you know, swing. I, I swung that day. <laughs> I just whoop, right out, just hanging out, dude. I think I fell into you. Yeah, you blasted you. me, dude. <laughs> so, yeah, put that tether around about your eyeballs where your nose hits the tree. Put it short. Make your bridge long. Pretty good setup. I go with the chin a lot of times. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You're even taller. I wonder if that makes a difference. I wonder, too. Mm-hmm. Best time of the year to rattle. It's coming up. Mm-hmm. I feel like today until the end of November, whatever today is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, man. Yeah. It's like if you listen to this after November, then it's it's pre-November, but it's also post-November. You know I've, I mean? uh, I've tried to, like, kind of zero in on this a little bit better, and I, I think it's kind of hard. Because uh, you want to be like, okay, all the bucks are working it out right now. Once you get to, like – the breeding stage of the month, there's going to be less of that going on. But I don't, I don't really think that they are as in tune to that as, as we are. You know what I mean? They, they're very instinctual and reactive. Yeah. So I think there's a little more really uh, to how you rattle at different kind of stages of the rut than there is to like, is it going to work? You know, I think like if it's late October and you go to crashing the antlers together and, you know, breaking tree limbs and stuff. You may spook some stuff, um, and you may not, but you may spook some stuff, uh, whereas you could be a little more, um, I don't know, like um, there's a video that may or may not be released by the time this comes out where you almost killed a buck in, in South Dakota, and there was like some, this is early October, and there was kind of still some decent little, you could hear the bucks fighting, you know, I mean, it wasn't like they were raging or anything, but, like, there was a little buck, and the buck you were going to shoot were fighting. Oh, yeah. You're <laughs> talking about that just happened. Yeah. I was trying to think years back. No, yeah. that And that buck um, – no, yeah, no, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, that buck, the bigger buck, came out because two bucks – not just because, but it was brought to his his attention quickly that two small bucks were – spiking it out over there Mm -hmm. and so he wanted to go let them know who the real big boss was around that country yeah yeah and so it wasn't like a full-fledged fight but it also wasn't like what the spikes were doing when they were out there by themselves Mm -hmm. and so i think like you got to just understand like if if it's october maybe you've rattled loud enough and aggressive enough to get the attention and curiosity pique the curiosity of something but you don't like you don't act like it's the knockdown drag out that happens on November 6th. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, and then on November 6th, you can do that and get away with it maybe. And then in the post, post-rut post kind of area of late November, maybe you go back to a little bit more of a, of a timid thing. Or maybe that doesn't work and you just go full-fledged and all of a sudden it's like, hey, I didn't know anybody was still doing this thing, you know? You Speaking of November just 6th. You got to try stuff and learn. On November 6th, a couple years back, I watched two giant bucks – duke it out almost fight to the death and um that would be a good time to really make them loud mm-hmm. uh, it's it's going down it's most going of the time that time of year for sure first time hunting texas public land is the mornings or evenings best mm. <coughs> man it depends on the time of year this is a rut podcast so it's assume it's november um, I'm going to say, in my personal experience, I have 
had better morning hunts than I have had evening hunts. But I also tend to be a morning guy. So it could be that I have higher confidence in the mornings because I already feel that way and I make confident decisions that put me in the area of bucks. If I thought about it long and hard, I might change my tune. Uh, but I don't know. It's it's probably marginal at best, if, if you could say better mornings or better evenings. Uh, we've all 300 Texas public, so you answer in a second too. Yeah, um, I'm an evening guy, so I like the evenings better, but in the same tune, like if I think back to hunts, it might be marginal. I can think of – you know, you passing the biggest buck I've ever had a chance at on Texas Public <laughs> one time. That was a pretty good evening hunt. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've killed. That stamp was pretty good on evenings. It was. In particular. Yeah. I've killed three bucks on Texas Public, and they've all been in evenings. But I just like evenings better. And so maybe the same way. Like maybe I just. And maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not that you like it so you're better at it. Maybe it's you're better at it so you like it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, maybe whatever you do lends itself to morning hunting better than mine. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you like it. Cause you tend to, who knows like what the variable is that makes you pick the spot that works out better in the mornings and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So you have better hunts in the mornings because you're just better at that. So I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like I think it's um, really the answer to the question is more about uh, what are the deer doing that you're hunting? You know? Well, Well, I'd say if, if you're talking about East Texas river bottoms, the deer a lot of times are spending their nights on private. So that's one of the reasons I like mornings because they're going to come back to the public to cover in, in bed, whereas in the evenings a lot of times you're trying to slip in close to them, which is sketchy. Mm. But that's just a thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, I miss Scar on the evening. Uh, yeah. Pass that deer on the evening. Seen Pretty Boy a few times on the evening. He had a rager last year in the morning. That's right. right? That's the one I'm thinking about most recent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Giant buck chasing a doe like a madman in the morning. Eric? Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of what you're saying. I like mornings. Uh, more like what Tyler's saying, too, is I don't feel like I'm good at evening hunts or getting yeah. close to where they're bedding at. I don't think I'm very good at that. So I see more action in the mornings, it seems. Yeah. You killed on the morning last year. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Almost killed two bucks. Yeah. Then you would have been in real trouble, dude. <laughs> I do feel as if uh, deer in the morning are doing different stuff than deer in the evening. Mm-hmm. I feel like deer in the morning are still in the big mix of everything. So there's like does around, and there's little bucks, big bucks, and they're just kind of messing around. And then the evening, you have a better chance of maybe seeing a lone buck mm-hmm. who got up and he's going to like make some ground and try to smell something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two scenarios with this question. One's in a thicket and one's in an open area. At what distance or when do you draw your bow? Man, I change on this a lot. Say it. Uh, <laughs> dude, I'm having like a, a, a energy to crash right now. Are Sorry, you? dude. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Get some coffee right there. Mm. Um, it also depends in a tree. So let's just – I'm going to assume that his in a thicket versus open area is also kind of a on the ground versus in a tree thing. But that those two are different, so whatever. Um, a lot of times right now I'm using my draw to stop a deer. I, I think about that a lot. Uh, it depends on the deer's attitude. 
if he kind of already knows I'm there, then it's real sketchy. But if he doesn't, then it's a great way to stop a deer. Because, I mean, he doesn't hear something. He probably has to turn it. Like, if he's looking at you, don't do it. But he has to turn his head to kind of be like, what was that? And it's too mm-hmm. late when that happens, for sure. Um, if it's a deer that's walking uh, and he's going to walk down a trail I have a shot at, I'm going to draw pretty early. Just so mm-hmm. I can choose when, like, my decision when to stop him with a bat and and shoot. Um Oftentimes, I think in a tree, too. Like, as I think about it, like it's so scenario-dependent. Mm-hmm. But um, I want to get my bow drawn pretty early. I'm a pretty strong guy, so I can hold my bow back for a while. I don't want to hold it back for two minutes, but I will. Um, and, you know, holding my bow for 30 seconds doesn't bother me at all. So if a deer's walking to me, he's 60 yards off, and he's on a kind of a slow walk, I'll draw my bow because I'm kind of out of the bubble a little bit and just – when he gets to a spot, I know the exact range or to a real close spot and shoot him. Mm-hmm. It's very scenario dependent. I think that I'm the same way. Like if a deer is on a walk, I'm drawing pretty early. If the deer <clears throat> is moseying around, smelling stuff, like you can watch the nameless video. Mm-hmm. And I like, I like go half draw like twice. And I realize that the deer, like as soon as I start drawing, the deer stops and so I let back down real quick because I'm like, I don't want to hold this for whatever, however long that's going to be. It's windy. I'm going to get be able to draw. It's not like a big issue. I just want to make sure I draw back, give it a few seconds, and, and pull the trigger instead of having to hold for, you know, a minute and a half or whatever potentially. So, um, and then, like, <clears throat> last year in South Dakota, that deer was on a pretty good consistent walk. So I drew pretty early on that deer. And he was kind of facing me when he came down the edge of that creek. Uh, he kind of – once I knew he was going to be on a straight walk, uh, he's probably like 30 yards and about near eye level. So I really had to wait till he went behind some will- a thick part of the willows to draw. Uh, but then I drew back. Once I got back, I was like, oh, money in the bank. And mm-hmm. it wasn't um, because I didn't make a good shot. Um, and then, like, there's, a, there's other things to consider, like, if the deer walks behind a big tree, I can think about when I was on the ground in Arkansas, I drew on that deer when he walked behind a big tree. You want to draw as soon as his eyes go behind that tree. Mm-hmm. Like you have to react quick because as soon as his eyes go behind the tree, he's about to pop out on the other side. So you've got to get like all the way back or he's going to catch you when he comes out the other side in the back half of your draw. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but like, you know, your mind, it works fast. So you can make pretty good decisions on drawing and I think some people don't work quite as fast or haven't been in the position very often so it's one of those things you're going to have to like another thing you have to live and learn through a little bit but the one thing that you can do to help yourself out and this is what we used to do in football a lot but it's kind of like envision what you expect to happen and why you're set up there the reason you're set up there is because you have some sort of expectation that something's Mm -hmm. going to happen so what is that expectation is he going to come from the right or is he going to come from the left or is he going to come from straight forward or behind you or whatever so envision that and then think about where you're going to draw and think about the window you're going to shoot him in right you want to draw before he gets to that window if it's a small window right if it's a big window not necessarily like you could do like kc said you could stop him with your draw in the big window in the small window it might not be I think a great Mark idea. Drew would you know? call that a short window, I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Real short window. Yeah, it is. It's like it's like Karn, 
That's right. You know, if there's, you could put some corn there actually right. in that window, uh, and that would help you to get get the stop, you know, or whatever. Yeah. But that's you know, that's another thing. If you can bait or whatever, if you want to bait, mm-hmm. uh, it'd be good to pile up. I, I learned this from a this is a Texas deer lease thing right here. I learned this from a guy named Uncle Randy that I don't even know if it was related to me or not. Um, he he put a like we always had this like chum corn concept where you take a bag of Walmart sack about halfway full of corn and you, you as Brennan Rhodes said, would say, you spatter it, mm-hmm. you know. Well, Uncle Randy showed me you could just pour that corn right behind a big old uh, prickly pear or log, mesquite log or whatever, and that when that deer came in there and nosed down, his eyes are behind it and you pull it, you know, pull back mm-hmm. and then shoot him. <laughs> so just, you know, thinking Is about Uncle things Randy like that. Uncle Randy of Randyville fame? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, there's there's a there's a I mean we could do a whole podcast and we have before mm-hmm. years ago actually when you lived in a different town, uh, we did an art of the draw podcast, Spooky. and we you could you can really talk about all the things yeah. but like um, you really more than anything, my best tip is to envision making the play before you get into a situation where you have to make the play. Yeah. You know know what know what their tendency is and. Envision yourself picking the ball off and take it to the house yeah. on that. Eric, know? this is going to seem like I'm just telling you things because you recently had a kind of a situation like this. But it's not oh, – I'm yeah. not, like, telling you this, but yeah. it is a thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, sooner rather than later is also a good thing to think about. Mm-hmm. You should mm-hmm. never think that you have all the time in the world. Right. Because um, I can think back to my 2020 Kansas buck. I thought I knew what trail that deer was coming in on, and then he I lost sight of him for a while through a thicket, and I was like just zoned in, ready for him to come down this trail, and then all of a sudden I look over, and he's on a different trail, I'm like, oh, crap, and then he does this really weird buck thing where he just takes off sprinting for 12 yards, <laughs> and it's really oh, crap, because he almost ran out of my shooting window mm-hmm. when he did that, and thankfully, he ran right up there and stopped and looked the other way I drew and shot him, but so he could have easily just ran through yeah. no shot because I didn't have my bow drawn. Whereas like if I like saw him and didn't lose him over there, I could have drawn my bow when he was behind a big cottonwood and he would have been standing there at 22 yards, mm-hmm. you know? And so like there's this concept of like all of this, envision it, you know, make sure you do it at the right time, but don't just wait around because yeah, the deer could just make a 90 and all of a sudden, you, all you can see is his booty mm-hmm. for the whole time he's there. Well, and and being around a lot of deer and knowing deer fairly well helps you to make those decisions mm-hmm. better and better. So shoot you some does. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and knowing that, like, well, this deer is going to do this. He's not going to take a ninety there. Mm-hmm. Like having a really good idea, it's not going to happen. But like but you said, like think about like, nameless. Yeah, I know. You remember right before you shot him, he like. Stuck his head in the weeds and almost bulldozed through there. Yeah, spooky. Like, yeah, yeah. It was like literally, almost just didn't get a shot at that deer. Yeah, because he just did some weird thing, and then he yeah. like turned back out and you shot him. And I mean, yeah, just just draw your bow. Yeah, like you said, earlier than later. You mm-hmm. don't want to look back and say, "Oh man, why didn't I draw?" You at got. All? You can't shoot him with your bow not drawn. I think no. about you talking about that big deer. This we're going really long on this question. That's a good one. But um. That big deer that ran through on me last year on Texas Public in the morning, his doe was like at four yards locked up. And I saw him running at us, you know, not at us, but at her. 
And I went ahead and drew my bow because I was like, look, he's going to run her through here, and I'm not going to get a shot if I don't draw my – you just got to have your bow drawn. And mm-hmm. sometimes deer see you draw your bow, like a different deer or mm-hmm. something like that. And that's risky. And in that case, it I don't think – I think it actually hurt me. But in my mind, I was like, I can't shoot him without my bow drawn, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. get it back. And, you know, another thing is uh, – if you can't see the deer's eyes, that's a good time to draw. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you know, if you don't think a deer is looking at you, but you can see his eyes and he's at 17 yards, there's a high chance that he's going to see you draw. And if you don't want to get seen draw uh, drawing, then wait till he turns his head away. You can watch the ranch buck video actually mm-hmm. and get it. Like people have asked me, uh, I forget somebody asked me this the other day. Like, what were you thinking? Why weren't you drawing here? I just always have wondered why you took so long to draw on this deer. Mm-hmm. And you can watch him. And he's looking, and I can see his eyes. He's looking at does that are blowing at me because I just stood up in my stand when he jumped the fence. And um, and I just was holding in there just waiting because I knew if I drew, he's on high alert, and I can see his eyes, even though it's the back of his eyes kind of. So when he turns and looks to his left and his head is completely away and his eyes and vision is blocked, that's when I drew. And that's, I mean – if you don't want to stop a deer with your draw, then you can't – I mean, it's going to be hard to draw when you can see their eyes. Very similar situation to – and this is another great thing to look at, but my 2021 Oklahoma public land deer, the fence buck, if you all have watched the fence buck, go watch that, but don't watch the shot. I mean, do watch the shot. It's really cool. <laughs> but the pre-roll of that, Tyler throws it down, and it's like – it's kind of revelatory how deer's eyes work whenever they feed. So this deer's eating tiny little green grasses before he goes to take a drink. And you look at a deer, like you look at your deer on the wall, their their eyes are on the side of their head kind of facing forward. Mm-hmm. When a deer puts its head down to feed, all of a sudden his head morphs and his eyes become on the top of his head. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? I'm kind of like making a joke, but like for real, that deer's eyes, when his head's down eating, there's a real good clip, he's still looking out in front of him yeah, when his sure. head's down. So it ain't like they're looking down at the ground anymore. They, no. can, they can see, like, if you ever put a GoPro 360 on, and that's what they're looking at, mm-hmm. you know, like just big old <laughs> Ren and Stimpy head. Yeah. You know? Like that's – that's and it, it's weird how much they – and then that deer at the same time is a great example of the whole, oh, he's distracted, draw your bow right now. Yeah. that's And that's what it did. That deer, yeah. for some reason – he th- heard another deer behind him, whipped his head around, and I said, oh, this is the time. Mm-hmm. I draw my bow. He turns and looks at me. He's at 14 yards. It is too late. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you're drawing through you're th- drawing through your peep sight pretty much. Yes. Like that's, you know, it, if you draw through the deer, you're minimizing movement that he sees. Mm-hmm. You're also coming straight back to your eye, and your peep is there. And, I mean, oh, I shot you literally can shoot. Second. Yeah, it's like, it's like <laughs> a second, you know. Yeah. I mean, it is so fast. Yeah, it's and ridiculous. It is, and, and that's a, but that's a good point. Like a deer, a deer can literally smell how far that grass is from his lips. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to look at it. That's right. He's looking at you and other things that are dangerous, mm-hmm. like crocodiles in the Amazon. That's right. Rainforest. But they stuff. have like a, a little bit of a one-track mind, right? So – that he gets distracted by that thing, he's mm-hmm. zoned in on it. Mm-hmm. He's not thinking about what's going on over here because he's like, that's going to eat me over there. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he's like, that's going to eat me in the tree. Too late. Pow. Yep. Okay. Next if, question. If only you shot an adult arrow at that <laughs> I know, <deer>. right? <laughs> you would have gotten, oh, wait, Super you did get two holes. Shot. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Wow, crazy. All right, this is the last question. Oh. When is the rut in central and northeast Texas? 
Those are different. If you are maybe not from Texas, you don't understand how far apart those places are. Well, <laughs> they were two separate questions. I combined uh, them. Oh, yeah. Okay. But I'm just explaining, like, if you are from Delaware and you haven't been here, those are like six hours apart. Um, <laughs> so, northeast Texas, this also depends on what you call the rut, but let's just say perceived chasing and all that stuff. I'm going to say it is the middle of November. It's a little bit later than the Midwest. Um, and it's like, for instance, I was looking at some historical data right here on the Moultrie Mobile app. Wow. Uh, how about that? Look at you. I know. And there's some good daylight buck moving on the 13th of November mm-hmm. in 2021. Mm-hmm. That's a good time. Last year was a little bit later, but uh, anywhere from like 13, 14, 15 through Thanksgiving is a good time to, to see rut in East Texas. Yeah. I I looked at one point, this has probably been two to three years, in northeast Texas, well, just East Texas cameras that we've run uh, were all pretty similar. And I was seeing the most in my just, I, you know, I'm, I didn't do any filtering on an app or any of the multi-mobile app or anything. I just did my own research on our cameras because we didn't have a ton of cameras. We had a few. And over like the course of three years, November 14th was probably the best day overall for daylight buck movement. Mm. And so you're saying the 13th. I mean, those that's within a 24-hour period of each other there. So um, that's that's a good one. Now, Central Texas, I don't know. It's been so long since I hunted Central Texas. Like, Greg's over there. What do you say, Greg? He's off the max. Seventh and eighth, he says, peak breeding habits. So pretty standard, probably. Around Austin. Well, yeah. Yeah. Thanksgiving, and then yeah. you go a little bit further south, which would be considered South Texas, if you're looking at December ruts. I mean, so if you're hunting from the 5th to uh, Thanksgiving, it's a pretty good window for mm-hmm. most of probably Central Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yep. That's all of them. Good all questions. All right. We'll yeah. do another one of these things soon. We appreciate y'all listening. Go check out the Element YouTube channel if you haven't. Uh, Eric shoots a bunch of big does. Tyler shoots a big old buck. Then by the time you're listening, there might be a new video out. I don't even remember which one's coming out next. Chris Webb. C-Dub and Eric on the quest for big bucks in South Dakota. Questivities. Questivities. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, man. We appreciate y'all. Sorry. We today was kind of uh, a we, – we talked a long time about some things, but, man, I feel like ready to hunt deer already. Oh, like, dude. I, I, just... Like talking through this stuff gets me like – hype and like practiced up i feel like i should go out there right now i've been checking the camera to make sure you don't need to oh well i don't but (laughs) i would like to uh i would like to i just it's just not quite there you know yeah but i'm gonna just sit here and edit videos so that y'all can watch when i have hunted and when other people have hunted in this group so yeah well guys remember november is awesome and remember uh este es tu elemento (laughs) (laughs) vivelo I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little 
backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide, a veteran-founded business. It's dedicated to producing American-made cleaning chemicals and also dedicated to creating American jobs. And that commitment is embodied in every product that's bottled, labeled, and shipped from their Arvada, Colorado facility. Safe for all firearm types and surfaces. Embrace the power of American ingenuity and protect your firearms with the best. Visit RiptideArmory.com. 